All right, welcome back to another episode of Conversations with Jay. I got another special guest in the building. I'm allowing him to introduce himself. What's, what's going on? It's the kid, Vontae Bumari. How y'all feeling? Vontae, what's going on with you? Man, I'm alive. Can't complain. What's, what's the word? How you been, man? Man, staying low out the way, you know, grinding as always. All right, let's start with where you from. From out west, you know. How was it growing up out west? Um... I mean, I've seen everything you can possibly imagine, you know, uh, you know, the poverty, uh, just everything you see growing up in Chicago, like it's, it's, it's a extreme situation for some people, you know, a lot of people don't even go more than like a two or three mile radius from they, from they block, but you know, Chicago, Chicago. So it, it give you a, a survival mentality for sure. Would you say you had a normal childhood? Hell no. Why Hell not? no. Why not? Well, first off, uh, my mom, I helped raise my brother and sister, so we got we all got different fathers, so I helped raise them, and we all close in age, so it was never really, like, opportunity for me to experience a childhood, and considering not my father wasn't around. So I say that first and foremost. Um, but I don't think, I ain't going to say I don't think, Anybody growing up, not growing up in a two-parent uh, household has a regular childhood. But I would say I didn't. You know, I, my mom did what she had to do. She did the best she could for us. We all turned out fine, but hell no, I didn't have a regular childhood. No. So you the oldest. Yeah. So would you say being in that role of, of always having a – because you don't have any kids, do you? No, not yet. Would you say that – you was forced to be a father? Because I feel like that, too, because I got a twin brother. You feel me? My pops wasn't around. And I always felt like I was always on him more than a brother should. You feel me? Mm -hmm. So would you do you feel the same way? In a way, yeah. Because, you know, as I got older, my brother and sister would chill out. You ain't my dad. You know, give me them type of comments. So, But it was kind of the role that I had to play. So, you know, I did what was needed. But I would say in a way, yeah, just based off of how they would, you know, yeah, you ain't my dad, you know, give you them type of look, smart comments and stuff. So, yeah, I would say that. Now that all y'all grown, how y'all had that conversation where they, they showed you love and they was like, man, I appreciate you for everything that you did. Yeah, all the time. I think even, even from my end, it made me kind of realize, you know, growing up younger, you always think everybody going to be young. You never going to grow old. But, like, my sister, 21 now, and... She a little cute little girl. So growing up, I can't, or I, I imagine what life would be like now that we at the point we are now. And just remembering those talks with them, it kind of helped me realize, too, I'm their brother. I ain't they dad. Like, you're supposed to be there to you know, offer guidance and, and wisdom. But what it made me realize was, blood or not, everybody got their own path, got their own life to live. So you could, you know, advise somebody to do something, but they got to do their own thing. They got their own walk to they own journey, you know, so. How do you think that shaped you as the man you are? Because I would assume that you had to be overprotective in a lot of situations, like even when it comes to like a, a normal relationship. Um, What do you mean, growing up in a, a single parent household or just? No, always, always having that, that mentality where you had to look out for somebody. I would say, I mean, yeah, because A, my size, you know, so. If something go down, like, 
I'm usually the first person somebody call, or, but I always <laughs> got somebody like there for me. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I don't be having to really, you know, get in the, you know, get in the mix like that. So, um, yeah, I would say in a sense, it 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 made me not only overprotective, but more so, um, kind of like ruthless in the sense of us being so close, like. Because that was what I knew growing up. Like, somebody coming, you know, get out of line or do something to my brother and my sister. Like, you're going to get dealt with because, like, that's my brother and my sister, you know? So. Right. So, at what point did did you, and I don't want to say, like, soften up, but at some point you had to, like, you had to, like, enclose that hardness at some point to grow as an individual. Because growing up in Chicago, we always had to be hard, you know what I'm saying, to the yeah. point where... Uh, our normal face is always a mean mug. Yeah, can't really show no, can't show no tenderness at all. Really. Yeah, but at some point, you feel me? You gotta smile. You know what I'm saying? You gotta be able to embrace the beauty around you. So, at what age do you think you was able to do that? I mean, I still be mugging. You know, being that I'm moving around so much and I'm from here. Like, if I'm in LA, like my head on a swivel, Vegas, head on a swivel, Texas, Atlanta, wherever I'm at, I'm always observing it. Um. You know, I, I kind of got that natural, like, stale look just because this is how I am. But I would say probably when I went off and, and I left the nest, when I went off to college, because it gave me more opportunity to actually, like, understand myself better and then see how the world really operates without having a parent around to kind of coach me through, you know, everything, making me figure it out on my own. So I would say that kind of made me soften up a little bit more, too. Seeing more people, you know, when you're in one environment for so long, it's you will come accustomed to it, and when you step into something else, it's foreign, so you don't really know how to navigate it. So, yeah, I would think um, going off to college, for sure, kind of made me, like, I don't want to say soft, but it kind of made me, it, it, it gave me a broader perspective, I would say. What, um, what school you went to? So I went to uh, I went to a Juco in Palatine to play football, Harper College. And then I wound up just going, I graduated from uh, SIUC. So what was that experience like at the JUCO? Because you were strictly there to play football, right? Man, it was different. Like, so because I went to the JUCO, I never lived, like, the dorm lifestyle. Like, I've been staying in, like, apartments forever. Like, I never did the dorm. I, I don't know what the dining hall experience is like. I never got that experience. But it also made me, uh, in a lot of ways, be way more responsible, you know, because you got bills and stuff you got to pay. I'm not getting... Um, stuff paid out of scholarship or, you know, stuff already taken care of a part of my tuition. Like, I had to take care of my living expenses on my own. So um, I think the one thing I'll take away from it, though, was it brought me closer to having, like, a community as far as, like, the team. Because, um, you know, when you're playing in, like, sports, you, like, grow bonds with your teammates and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Now, when you went to uh, Carbondale, how was that experience? Coming it was, from it was, the Juco it was, to a, a major university. It was, it was uh, different again because I kind of, I got there what my junior year, so I wound up having to do an extra year because they didn't take some of my credits, which is crazy to me. But um, it was eye opening because the the school I went to, the the Juco I went to up here was pretty big. Um, I think it might have been like the second or third largest junior college in the state, um, in terms of like uh, students. But going to like uh, SIU, it was different because like I didn't I didn't do my freshman and sophomore year at a traditional university. You know what I'm saying? I'm more around 
a enclosed like community of like athletes or people just going to you know do they two years before they go to a big school and right. Carmendale opened my eyes a lot to like different well my high school in Chicago kind of opened my eyes to different like ethnicities and stuff like that but Carmendale opened me up to a different like experience in terms of uh racism and stuff like that for sure just seeing you know how people act further south you go so Man, I remember uh, my cousin went to SIU Carbondale, and I remember taking him down there so he could check into his dorm and everything. We went to go hoop in the gym, and I ain't never got my ass whooped like this before. It was three white dudes. No, it was four white dudes and and my cousin, homie, all on the same team. Bro, they got us up out of there fast as hell. Like, we ain't score. They didn't miss a shot. So SI, that was my experience briefly at SIU getting my ass whooped on basketball court. Oh, you used to a lot of that on the basketball court, huh? Bro, I had never, like, I had played against white dudes before, and I ain't never lost. But I lost in that in, in that encounter, and I never got back on the court. So, it, you know, it's different when you don't get the revenge, that shit, bro. I never forget that shit, man. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people underestimate, like, you know, growing up, you got movies like White Men Can't Jump and stuff like that. A lot of people underestimate them in terms of, like, I mean, I think we superior in terms of athleticism, but you got to understand, they get a skill, and, like, that's their skill. So somebody might be a, a defender. Somebody might be a rebounder. Then, but, you know, most of them is, like, shooters. So that's what they really hone in on. So I think a lot of people, Yeah, I think a lot of people <laughs> underestimate them for being able to shoot the leather off the ball and, Hey, once in a while, you get surprised, man. Some some dudes that come in, and you looking at them like, oh, it's this white kid, and, and he fuck you up. You like, you know, get your ass a quick, you know, three, four, three balls. You like, you don't know what to do no more, so. <laughs> what did you, what was your major at SIU? Uh, communications. I got a degree in, um, I got a bachelor's in, uh, a bachelor's of science in uh, journalism. Now, a lot of people, they go to college and they graduate college and they never put their major or any of their degrees to use. Are you currently putting your degree to use? Uh, I'm the same way. Uh, when football didn't work out, um, I knew in my mind then, like, I, I wanted to do something with music because that's what I was always on, even when I was younger. And... I didn't realize it then, but, like, I'm the first, like, male in, like, my entire family to actually get a bachelor's degree. And it, it don't mean nothing to me in the sense of, um, like, it's a pat in the back. But more so, like, I got little cousins and stuff in my family that eventually are going on. Some of them already in school that will complete their four-year degrees. So it was cool to actually kind of, like, set that bar for everybody younger to go out and, you know, be better than me, really. So, um. But, yeah, I ain't touched my degree. I ain't used my degree. I ain't thinking, man, as soon as I graduated, I was like, yo, it's over with. I'm going to hop in this music thing. Like, I did it because I was already in it, and I wanted to, you know, finish what I started. But I didn't go into it like um, – I used to – I wanted to be like Stephen A. Smith. I wanted to work for ESPN, you know. But uh, I just knew, like, at that age, when football and stuff didn't work out, I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and hop in this music stuff, so. At what age did you find a passion for music? Well, probably what? Second, third grade or so, probably something like that. Yeah. So was that always something that you wanted to do? It was just on the back burner? 
Um, I think because I was so involved in sports at a young age, as a young as a young kid, it kind of. I mean, so I I actually was in band. I played clarinet in grammar school, and um, I think just the fact that I was so involved with all of the sports, and you know, and you know, every nigga dream is all for to go to a league. You like Mike Woo Woo, but right. a lot of people don't get that reality that it just ain't for you. You know, so right. um. I would say I wouldn't say it was on the back burner. I would say it was something that uh I had to really kind of develop over time and really um once it was like I right, this is on my mind, this is what I wanted to do, like I had to develop it. Like then I had to start putting in my hundred thousand hundred thousand hours. You know, a lot of people only talk about ten, but you know, doing music, it it could take a million hours, you know. But if your heart really in it, you know, and you know what you want out of it, you'll get whatever it is you seek. So I couldn't say it was on the back burner. I just think um, because I was so focused on sports at a young age, playing uh, basketball. I didn't start playing football until my senior year of high school. So I think just playing basketball all year round, that was kind of more so my safe haven growing up in Chicago, going to the parks, going to you know the gyms, going to uh, the Golden Dome, hooping at the Boys and Girls Club and stuff like that. Them was like my safe havens away from all of the different like uh, things you experienced growing up in the city. Do you remember that that first song you heard that that made you fall in love with music, or that first album that made you fall in love with music? Hmm. Are we talking music in general or just rap? In general. I know the first rap song was for sure one mic. Like I'll never forget that video on like one oh six and part. But overall, I would probably say Reasons by Earth Wind and Fire. Like something about that song just so smooth to me, you know. That's like, your shit. Yeah, like I can't go wrong with that, man. Like I I would say Reasons by Earth Wind and Fire, yeah. Now at what point you say at the college you took you you jumped into the music, but at what point did you actually take it serious? Like this is exactly what I want to do in my life. My senior year of college, like going into my last, like it might've been my junior year, but going into like my last year of college, like I, I got up with my guy E Brown. He had a little studio home set up and we recorded a project. Um, it was called uh, uh, The Prelude. Um, man, I'm getting old. It was called The Prelude. We recorded all that stuff in his basement in his in his house. Uh, shout out to my guy E Brown. He doing some big things overseas and that thing. Um, we just, you know, I bought some beats from some people online, some stuff that I was, you know, rocking with. We recorded at his crib. Uh, he mixed everything. I put it up on what SoundCloud, Spinrilla. So I would say that last my senior year of college. Now you spoke on putting in a hundred thousand hours. Now what you rarely hear rappers or artists in general speak about is actually practicing so what are some yeah. ways you practice being a rapper because i ain't i never ask anybody this question i before. mean i write a lot i got a i got a rhyme book i got a couple books that got a bunch of raps in it i got tens of thousands of not necessarily full complete songs but i might have so i might have you know eight bars here 12 bars here 30 bars here like i literally just if i'm on my phone a lot i literally just like because i'm always in my head some Aquarius shit, but um, I'll catch myself like 
I could hear a, a old beat or something like I was like, ah, I would have I would have snapped on this or I would have said this and I just started writing to it, like acting like it's my beat or whatever. And that's kind of what I do. Uh, I write like a lot, lot, and not necessarily saying everything get put to use, but um, other than that, you know, I also do a lot of uh, vocal lessons and stuff, work on, um, you know, my cadence, make sure I'm in and out the pocket, you know, being... Being from out west, you know, we some smooth talking niggas, and I think I, I, I talk a little fast sometimes, so I try to work on breath control and stuff like that. Um, just to, you know, fine-tune my craft. You know, I, I I know my voice is an instrument, and I treat it as such. So when I was playing the clarinet, I didn't just hop on it and, you know, bust out them notes. I had to perfect that stuff. So same thing with my voice. So my voice, you know, you got to... Whatever it is you're doing inside of music, you got to, you know, perfect your craft 100%. Anything you're doing, you know, you being a lawyer, you got to perfect, you know, your statues and mandates and all that stuff. So, Other than the clarinet, is there any other um, instruments you know how to play? No, just the clarinet. Now, growing up in Chicago, once again, it, it, it hardens you in a certain type of way, but you don't necessarily always hit that in your music you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. to me you you versatile and like you say your your favorite song was one mic you know what i'm saying so if i didn't know you from a can of paint i just walked up to you we had a conversation you said you make music how would you describe your sound um i would say i'm on i'm on a quest of finding out um the truth and the way uh things operate uh in the universe, honestly, uh, from a historical context and as far as um, just the things going on right now. And I try to embody that inside my music because I know it's other people who, you know, they, they thought provokers or they very uh, intuitive and asking questions. So as far as my sound, I would say I, I can't pinpoint my sound on one thing, um, but most of my music is just a reflection of whatever I'm experiencing at these particular moments in my life, whether that be uh, stuff going on like in the news or just in in Chicago and it's kind of like confusing or even, you know, the happy moments. Um, But yeah, I I think I like to look at what I'm doing as kind of like a a, a TED talk for people like me that come up in situations where you kind of, you growing up in like, you know, impoverished areas and you could be on some tough stuff, but you don't really want that. Like, it, it, it take a lot to be, like, a quote-unquote tough guy or a gangster to me. Like, you got to be, you can't be soft. Like, you know, like, I want to be in love. Like, I don't think gangsters got, gangsters could, you know, they got time for that, but you don't really got time for that because you really, your head on the swivel. You worried about, like, you know, if a nigga trying to get you or whatever it is, so... Yeah, I would just think my music is more so a, a portrait of what's going on in the world, what I've experienced. Um, and I think that's why it takes so long for me to put stuff together because it's like I want stuff to kind of flow and, and make sense. I don't want to just put stuff together or throw something together and call it an album because so-and-so doing the album or this nigga doing the album. Like I actually got to take my time and make everything feel right, make it you know, be cohesive to the point where um, you can play it from top to top to bottom and realize, like, the picture that I painted, if that makes sense. 
Man, you said your music, you described it like a TED Talk. Man, I fuck with TED Talks. Yeah. So I want to ask you, like, how important is it for you to educate your, to self-educate yourself and also deliver those messages through the music? Um, I think other people want to know the truth. Um, Growing up, we've taught so many things that, you know, when you get to a point of uh, consciousness, uh, you realize it was some bullshit. And... I feel my 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 passion and my my purpose is to continue to you know enlighten myself and not necessarily force it on other people, but you know present different perspectives to get people to be able to really uh, be more provocative in their thought process. Like, cause that's literally all I do. Like I ask questions, you know, like my favorite question: How we know two plus two equals four? And I just want people to be more open-minded to different realities than the things as they were told. So I think that's what's important, especially for, you know, when I do have kids and, you know, the people who do listen to me and, and feel like they learning something. Like, it's the same thing. I want to take you on a journey from, okay, I've experienced this, but now that I'm at this point in life, I learned that this is how I really should be. This is what really went down. And instead of soaking in it, take it as a lesson and, and, and grow from the situation. How did growing up in Chicago prepare you to live in LA? Because we know it's difficult to growing up and grow up in Chicago, but it's equally as difficult to thrive and flourish in LA. And all those people think of LA as the palm trees and pretty women. You feel me? But LA not an easy place to thrive in. So how did Chicago help you with that transition to move to LA? Um, I think the biggest thing I'll take from growing up in Chicago was it, it taught me to be aware of my surroundings and be observant. And that alone make me feel like I can go anywhere. You know, I don't go, you know, I'm a big nigga. Like, I don't go nowhere and be trying to be out of pocket with nobody. Uh, I'm not checking in with nobody. I don't be doing none of that stuff neither. But at the same time, like, when I be around in these different cities, like, I be meeting, you know, quote-unquote gangsters and stuff like that and I think just the way I carry myself and the way that I, you know, respect is a two-way street. So I think um, a lot of situations that I dealt with when I was younger in Chicago, I was 100% disrespectful. But now that I'm older, because, you know, when you're young, you think you hot shit, like, can't nobody touch you, you know, woo-woo-woo. But now that I'm older and I'm more wiser, you know, I don't live like that no more. And I don't try to go into situations with no animosity at no point no more. I go into situations just thinking like um what is really being said and, and, and not take things personal, you know, removing your ego. So that's another thing I think from Chicago. I think the only part of the ego that remains from Chicago is this chip on my shoulder from like going to different places and these places be acting like they started stuff or they do it did something that we actually did and they taking it and running with it like it's theirs. Other than that I don't really be caring too much about, like, the ego. Like, okay, food. I'll give you food, too. Like, I'm never going to go to L.A. and tell them that they tacos is better than ours. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> they think because Mexico right across the street, like, they tacos is better. I'm just never going to admit that. You know, that's just a Chicago thing. So it is what it is. Now, I done seen you on, on some movie sets. Like, explain that feeling just being around these different environments and, and being introduced to different opportunities. Well, I mean, that's, I, I think LA is like the land of opportunity. Like you're going to get what you're looking for. And 
Um, uh, I think you're talking about when I was on Snowfall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it was crazy. Oh, just cause, like you know, I grew up watching. Um, what movie is that? Uh, The Wood. And you know, and we coming out of our trailers. We all dressed up and. Stacy right there with uh I forget his I've true story I've only seen the episode of Snowfall I'm in and I watched that for the last five minutes and I never I never got into Snowfall everybody's like you crazy it's better than power I just never gave it the time um so I can't even tell you the, his character's name but I know his real name is uh Amin Joseph him Stacy and some other guys was there and I just remember walking up to Stacy telling him like. You ain't knocking me out, blood. Just let them know, like. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I, it make it easy that you know I'm a slick, funny guy that I could walk up and talk to these people. Like I've met damn near everybody you can think of, and you know I always got like some little funny joke or some way to you know break the ice and introduce myself, and everybody be cool. You know I don't go into these moments and be like starstruck or nothing like that. Like I never forget when I met Judge Blaze. Like I still hold. What he told to me, real uh, near and dear to my heart, because that's a goal of mine to get on a Just Blaze beat. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I don't get around these guys and get starstruck. It's like if it's a moment where uh, it's something that I, I see in the near future and I see everything happen for a reason. I just take that opportunity and you know and, and run with it. You know, it ain't every day you could get up and run into a you know. A, uh, uh, Mike Epps, uh, Just Blaze, uh, Raekwon, and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? So you meet these people. I mean, everybody human at the end of the day, too. So, now being in LA when when Nipsey Hussle passed, like, what was what was the the aura in LA when that happened? Depressing. Like at that time, I was staying like right up the street from Nipsey Stowe, like literally right up the street, and uh, it was just depressing. It was sad. It was like a dark cloud over the city, like for at least like two weeks, probably all the way up until like his like funeral thing. I would say, I think the funeral was more of a, a more of a like joyous, like a celebration for everybody. I never forget. You couldn't drive nowhere. You know, everything was like busy because of like the funeral procession and everything. So, but yeah, that when it first happened, it was for sure like depressing, sad, and like a big cloud over the city. Like the, the whole city was just like in sorrow. So. And to get back to the music, every time I hear Vontae beat, I mean a Vontae song, I be classic on the beat. How did you and I be classic link up? I met him through my old publicist at the time, J-Mo. J-Mo linked us. So, yeah, shout out to J-Mo for that. Um, and you funny. I got all to, I, got, I got more music than stuff he produced. Uh, he just do, like, we just click, you know? Like, that's my brother. So, certain stuff... Uh coming real easier now that we got so much chemistry together so um but yeah i definitely got other music with other uh producers 100 percent. like you'll see that soon so yeah now is it like you say y'all got chemistry i would think that it's hard to you know what i'm saying actually meet somebody and y'all mesh perfectly when it comes to music you know what i'm saying because you got your style, he got your his own style, but somehow they mesh perfectly together. Yeah. Like it's crazy. I think I think a lot of that too is because I'm so hands-on because uh I'm actually starting to produce a little bit now. Like I, I'm not doing nothing that I'm like comfortable to like 
put it out or, or you know put vocals on it to this point but i'm i'm teaching myself how to produce uh, like my grandfather engineer for uh what's the name of the group uh made uh he didn't produce he recorded all the uh, rolls royce made the car wash song he engineered for them so like as i age because like music is my passion like i don't want to be rapping past like 40. i want to be like producing and engineering and stuff and but I think because I'm just so hands-on and, like, I know how I want stuff to sound. Not saying me and uh, IB agree on everything, but because I'm so hands-on in my sessions, like, yo, do X, Y, Z, take this out, do this, or uh, I fuck with that, but I don't fuck with that, I think that make it much more easier because I'm actually vocal about what I want and what I, you know, what I don't want in the song. So I think that make it easier 100%. But that only comes with time after developing the relationship to actually be able to you know, have those type of conversations. Some people might be like, yo, you know, I'm, I'm the hottest shit, you know, what you mean take this out? No, this... But I think once you build that chemistry and that relationship come, it make it easier to have those, like, you know, those moments to, to craft the music at the end of the day. We, a year and a couple months into a, a pandemic, how would you say the the COVID outbreak either hurt you or helped you? Um, now that we in like, what is this year two, basically? Um, I think it really just made me kind of more so focus in on what I'm trying to say within my music. What, what back to, you know, other people questioning things that's going on. I know for a fact, people got questions with everything that's going on right now. I, I ain't trying to get into all that right now, but that just makes it more focused on my end because again, Stuff is coming out that I'm sure people kind of confused on, and certain stuff or certain stuff that I'm doing kind of makes it easier to understand. So I think it just made me focus more more than anything. So. Now you just recently dropped a project. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. How long were you working on this project? What was like the point? Cause you you rub me as somebody that like you say you're not just gonna put something out. You feel me? You gonna fine tune it to you feel like it's perfect and then release it to the public. Yeah. So how long were you working on this project? Uh, I put the I put the first installment of this series out in 2019. So and that was December. I would say uh, honestly the first the oldest song we've been working on was Run It Up, and we started that in August of 19, I believe. August of 19. So, yeah, two, what, about two years, two and a half, two and a half years or so. Um, yeah, because that's the studio. I just dropped that footage. Um, yeah, I think 2019. Yeah. With it being a, a series, you know what I'm saying, do – when you starting on, on part two, are you going back to listen to part one for motivation or is are they two separate things just in the same category? So it's two separate things, but the only thing that's the, the, the same will be the intro on everything. Like if you really listen, if you go back and listen to TA Volume 1, you will see when you listen to TA Volume 2 that both of the FMRs is the same instruments, just different you know pitches and different melodies basically. Uh, it's literally like when you listen to it, you'll be like, man, this is, I sound the same thing. Part two, to me, the production just sound better. Like we added some things, of course, but it sounds better than it did on the first one. And I'm sure part three will feel the same way. 
Um, so yeah, two separate things other than the intro. I think the the most important thing is called tangibly accelerated because I wanted to take people inside of seeing the the progress that we've made just throughout this series alone. So I think by the time I'm only gonna do three of them for this one. I think by the time the third one come out, you'll go back and listen to the first one, listen to the one we just dropped, and be like, damn, the third one, like, this mug came even harder, you know? So I think that's the most important thing about just acceleration in all aspects of, of my penmanship, of, of my uh, artistry, and just growing as a, as a young man and growing as an MC. So I think that's the biggest thing people will notice from each different uh, part of the series, what would be the 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 first song you tell people to go check out? Like, whether they they know your music or don't know your music, what would be the first song you say, "Hey, go check this out and then vibe out"? Hmm, that's a good question. I would probably say "Infatuated" because "Infatuated" to me, um, it's not so serious. It's not so like typical me it's like it's it's storytelling in the course but i tell you about some of the things i experienced with some women i talk about i mean to me it give off like that summer la vibe like some shit you could pull the top off and you know roll with a nice looking you know woman and smoke your little joint or whatever you're doing like it's some chill shit so i would say that just because i, I wouldn't want to get nobody into no super like deep or super you know, provocative stuff, like, right off the bat. So I would say Infatuated. When, as soon as you said Infatuated, I, I instantly thought about the beat that came with Infatuated, and you said it's L.A. feel. So was that a um, producer from L.A.? No, that's I.B. Classic. I'll be, see, yeah, that's I.B. Classic. Yeah, they definitely got that that West Coast. I don't know how to explain that shit. Like, especially it's, how it come on. It's a mix of West Side Chicago, West Side L.A., if you really, you know, really listen to you know the vocals and the beat because I, I we kind of did that intentionally um because even though i grew up here like i grew up listening to most you know west coast artists you know uh and i think um i just know like like imagine in the summertime like i'm gonna be riding around to this song like and it's gonna be the same feel like i don't think nothing that i've put out in the past two years it's old. I feel like everything is still fresh. You feel me? So I think that's a positive. You know, I, I don't know. A lot of guys, you could go back and listen to their old stuff and it still give you, like, the same feeling or even a better one. So I think my stuff from TA Volume 1 and on up, they, they've been aging pretty well. So If you can go back to tell your younger you anything, give your younger self some advice, what would it be? Um... Growing up in a single parent household, so I actually had a scholarship to a JUCO that he was gonna pay for everything in North Dakota. They had a, a middle linebacker. His name was uh, I want to say Derek Earls. I remember dude's name. I looked up his tape and everything. This dude been playing football all his life. Um, I only played football my senior year of high school. They was recruiting me like real hard. They like bro going to Arizona. Um, we was about the same size, but I was way more like raw, like because you know, obviously he was way more experienced. But I'm looking at his tape. I'm like, damn, this he going to Arizona off this? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, 
I'm gonna go to the league. <laughs> um, but I let my mom kind of dictate where I was going. So the advice that I would give my younger self and anybody that's young, same thing I said with my brother and sister. Everybody got their own life to play. I don't fault my mom for that, but I felt like so long, uh, I was letting her make decisions for me. And because she was like, no, nah, you can't go there. North Dakota is too far. Like, who knows what would be going on right now? Again, everything happened for a reason. But I would for sure say follow my own heart and, and make decisions for myself. And I would tell young people that too. Like, it's different when you stand in somebody's house, whether that be a parent or whatever it is. You kind of got to adhere to their rules. But in terms of how you want to uh, dictate, you know, your own life, you got to do what you want for yourself and your happiness. So I would definitely go back and say, man, stand up on what I really wanted. Like, I I think all of the time, like, what if I would have told my mama, like, I'm going to this school. I'm signing this contract. She would have been mad and got over it. You know what I'm saying? She didn't want me playing football. I lied to her. We was having uh, summer workouts for basketball. I lied to her and wound up going to uh, football practice. And I didn't go practice for so long because I, well, I was like, going to put all the little equipment. You know what I'm saying? So it was like I had lied to her to even play football in high school. So, yeah, I would just say follow my own instincts and do what I actually want to do and not, not, not let anybody dictate, you know, no decisions that regards around what I want to do in my life. All right, now, before we get out of here, tell the people how they can get in tune with you, where they can find the music, where they can find everything, Vontae. Uh, VonteBoumaye.com, V-O-N-T-E-B-O-M-A-Y-E.com. You can get all of my music for uh, digital download directly uh, from me. So you can go and you can go and pay right now for TA Volume Two. And it's gonna send you a download, and you ain't gotta worry about none of the streams and none of that stuff, man. And that'll help me out. Um, all of the, all of my information is on the website VonteBoumaye.com, like my Instagram. All of that good stuff is on the website. Man, I don't think artists know how important it is to sell their music. Like, a lot of artists don't even think about selling their music. They just put it on the streaming platforms. If I stop paying my title um, membership, all my music gone. You feel me? Yeah. So that's an important reason why all artists should sell their music. Well, man. another thing, too, it's just this whole, like, I'm not looking to sign no deal. Like, I, I'm building, I'm continuing to build a fan base. I got so much data from, you know, Spotify, YouTube, Instagram. So, where like, all right, I know where the people listening in at. So, as the more and more music I put out, I'll keep honing in to the specific, you know, audience that I'm building and and market to them. So, once I build, like, a, I don't even need a million. If I could get me a audience of maybe, what, 10 to 50,000, I feel like when I'm fully, like, steamrolling the way I want to, I'll be able to make money on my own. I won't be waiting on Spotify, you know, all of the streaming services to pay me. They'll buy stuff directly from me. I think that's so important just from being able to retain all your rights in terms of publishing. Um, the copyrights and stuff is important. Uh, the masters and stuff is important. Like, people don't realize how important that stuff is, you know, once you've gone. Because, like I said, I don't want to be rapping past 40. So, um, that stuff matters in terms of leaving uh, something behind for the generations to come after you. So, and I, I can't just directly credit, like, Nip for that. You know, like, I grew up listening to, like, Master P and stuff like that. So, I had some great examples before that. But, to me, Nip was, like, a big reminder, like, come in here and do shit your way. Plus, that way, can't nobody, like, 
can't nobody tell me how I'm running my shit. I want to do my shit how I want to do it. So if I'm selling my own stuff directly, I ain't got no middleman. There's nobody telling me, oh, you can't make these type of records. You can't do this. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do at the end of the day. So that's what's most important about uh, independence to me. Big facts, man. Uh, I want to say I appreciate you for sliding through. You feel me? Uh, you know, it's always a pleasure when I'm up in here linking with you, big dog. I, I wanted to do this because I, I wanted to have a, a conversation like we did the radio. You know what I'm saying? And to me, those two different type of conversations, you know what I'm saying? Here, I can ask you questions like, how was your upbringing and shit like that? And you can you can say things that, that'll motivate people in a different way than just with the radio interview, I feel like. Because my conversations, I did it just so people can actually learn and grow from the conversations that I have with different people. So I appreciate you for coming through, chopping it up with me. Yeah, I think, like, even... So part of my plan is, like, I don't want to do no big-ass concerts like at the United Center. A, most of the time, you got to be with some big-ass label for that. But, like, I feel like my music is more intimate. So, like, I want to be able to... My ideal thing that I want to be able to do is, I let's say I get this amount of data from Spotify where I got, like, six, seven cities. I want to be able to go to these six, seven cities, you know... Do a show for like a hundred to two hundred and fifty people. Be intimate. Talk to everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't want to feel like I'm out of reach or out of touch. Like I just want to feel like that. I want people to feel like not saying that I'm super accessible, but um, like because of the type of music that I make, like it ain't just something you could sit in. Like you can't play, you know, boom my ear after the club. You can play it on the ride home, but it's something you play. You know seven days of the week, not just the weekend. So because it's that intimacy involved in it, I want to be able to be there and actually talking, you know, connect with people that actually, like, grew with me. So that's why my real plan is to be able to just pop in and out to these cities, put my own little tours together. Like I said, do shows with, like, no more than, like, 250 people. Like, that's intimate. Imagine going to a show, 20,000 people there, you way in the back. You can't even see nothing. Yeah. Like, I want you to be feeling, like, up close and personal like the music is. So. Yeah, it's important to touch the people. Yeah. You leave a, a lasting impression like that. But once again, bro, I appreciate you for sliding through. You feel me? It's Sunday. You ain't have to slide through, but you did. So I appreciate you for having me, man. No doubt, man. Now, this has been another episode of Conversations with Jay.